Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to City Church Online. So glad you're tuning in with us. My name is Drake, and it's a joy to have you tuning in. Whether you're on Facebook Live or our Church Online platform, we would love for you to use that platform, use the chat, engage with us, use the buttons, use the connection cards, however we can serve you and help you connect in community in this season. We're here for you, we love you, and we want to serve you. Super glad that you're tuning in. I want to celebrate a few things before we get into the message today. We had uh, this team from Missouri that supports City Church. They've been here for a couple of days this week serving our city alongside of us. Grace Church, thank you so, so much for all of your radical generosity and your amazing, amazing service as we've loved our, our city in big ways. A couple of things that happened this week that you might or might not have benefited from is we handed out over 20 gallons of cold brew coffee on downtown Pearl, and it was awesome, and I hope that you got some of that and you got super caffeinated. And then after that, Friday night and Saturday night, we had two different drive-in movies, and they were awesome. We were blown away by how everyone showed up for our community, and we got to love and serve one another and engage and get a lot of sugar highs. It was fantastic. We hope that you were served well in that. And also, I want to celebrate with you tonight for the very first time since COVID hit, we have our very first night of worship and prayer unplugged. We're going to be outside at 7 p.m. on our property uh, engaging in a time of prayer because we, we believe that prayer is our first response, not our last resort. It's going to be a great time to connect, reconnect, and sing and pray together. So we'd love for you to join us. You can find more information on our website or on our Facebook events page. As we're getting into the conversation today, uh, man, I hope that you've had a great week and a good weekend and that this conversation is going to be encouraging. But I got to do a little bit of backtracking because we're walking through a book in, out of uh, Colossians in the New Testament. And Seth is our, our church planting resident. He uh, spoke for me last week, did a phenomenal job, and he introduced this big idea that really, really like settled deep in my heart. I hope it was encouraging to you. If you missed it, you can go back to our YouTube channel and catch up on that message. But his big idea was this, that the kingdom of God, this, this idea that Jesus constantly was talking about and teaching about and living out, the kingdom of God doesn't start the day that you die. It starts the day that you meet Jesus. And it was an incredible opportunity and invitation um, to, to kind of reflect on the life that Jesus invites us into. And that gives us the ability, Seth's point last week, is it gives us the ability to live today like the person we will be, not the person that we used to be. And I was like, whoa, like that is so helpful and so, encour so encouraging because sometimes if you're like me, I end up living like the person I used to be. Or even if I'm living like the person I am today, I'm not in love with that person and I'd really like to be a little better and a little different. And so it was a really challenging and encouraging conversation last week. And so as we continue through the book of Colossians, we're going to continue on that same thread of the kingdom. And I think it begs the question. Um, and, and I realize as, as we're tuning in together, some of you are followers of Jesus. Some of you are, are uh 
spiritually interested. Some of you have been burned by the church. Some of you are not sure what you believe or why you believe it. And I want you to know this is a place where you're loved, safe, and welcome. And we want to provide space and community for you. You don't have to believe to belong here. But as we have this dialogue, we're going to introduce some concepts. And I'm going to do my best to bring you along. And I think it's going to be helpful regardless of where you're tuning in on your spiritual journey. But this conversation that was introduced last week, I think it begs the question of if, if I can live today like the person I will be, then what does the person I will be look like? I'm like, that, that's actually a pretty good question because if I don't know that, I don't know that I can work today towards that image. And, and I realize, like, you know, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe like heaven and, and the supernatural conversations and like eternity, those might not be up your alley. But I, I think regardless of where you're tuning in, you would agree that there are things inside of you, and I, I, I would definitely say this, there are things inside of me that need to change. Like, like I, I think no matter where you're tuning in today, you hope that you're a different and better person tomorrow than you were the day before. You hope that you're a different and better person the following year than you were the year before. All of us see room for improvement and change. But as we have the conversation today around the kingdom, this new kingdom and, and this new life that Jesus invites us into, it, it begs the question, how do we, how do we conduct ourselves as, as citizens of heaven but residents of earth. That, that was the conversation last week. Like, like, what does that look like to live out real time? And, and so I want to introduce a conversation around identity that a lot of what we do, a lot of our activity flows out of who we are. It flows out of our identity. And so one of the questions I want you to think about and wrestle with is, is who are you? Not, not what do you do, not what's your vocation, not where are you from, but who are you? Like, who is Drake? Like, what makes up the person that God has made me to be. And one of the big ideas out of the book of Colossians that we've seen Paul pulling out over and over again is that belief determines behavior. That there might be times where I can kind of muscle through it and hope that my mind catches up to my activity, but more times than not, my activity is flowing out of my identity. That that my mind is influencing what I do and don't do. And so it's it's it goes from my head to my heart to my hands. And so if we want to see real and lasting change in our lives, we can grit through it, we can muscle through it, we can, we can work really hard at, at changing what our hands are doing. But if you're like me, you can see progress in a day and then fall back into the same discouraging patterns w- without seeing any real change. And I think it's because it starts here in the mind. And Jesus didn't just come to make our lives better, but he came to make us new. And I don't know about you, but I think identity is a huge issue in, in, in the world around us, but I think particularly in the American culture, identity is a huge issue. Like, man, for me, I, I don't know about you, but there are days that I'm more confused than a chameleon in a bag of Skittles, okay? Like, it's a hard day when I don't know who I, who I am. And I don't know what you know about what it means to follow Jesus, but Jesus didn't just die to save us from sin. He, he died to save us from self, that, that he could move us from selfish to Selfless, And again, I, I think everyone, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're going to agree, man, we, we need to change. There are things in us that are not helpful to myself and to others, and they need to change. There's things in me that, that I wish didn't come out of me. There's words that I wish I could take back. There's thoughts that I wish I could undo. There's simply some things that need to change. And if that's you, welcome to the Honesty Club, okay? You're not alone, and we're all in this together. Now, Unfortunately, there's an entire culture that wants to address this issue, and, it, and it's known as like the self-help section at Barnes & Noble, right? Like, and, and 
I think it does some damage because it's like, hey, listen, like, like you don't, don't, don't ever change. Just, just be true to yourself. You just do you, dog. Like, that's, that's what you need to do. And, man, I think that that's absolutely terrible advice because every time I go to self for help, self gets me in trouble. Right? I don't know about you and yourself, but myself has not been very helpful. And so I need some help outside of myself. And that's where the conversation is going to come from today is what Jesus invites us into uh, is not just better behavior modification, but it's an inside-out transformation. And so I think it's helpful to frame up this conversation uh, with, a, with a clothing analogy. And so um, I want you to think about clothes as representing your identity. In some ways, they, they literally do. Um, but in the, in the conversation of a text that we're going to be in today, I want you to think about the idea of clothing. And, and think of all of humanity as kind of having a wardrobe malfunction, okay? And so Jesus came uh, to, to get us back up to speed. So I, when I was growing up, um, in middle school and into high school, I was like constantly changing like, like the way that I dressed. And the reason I would do that, you might, this not, might not be you, you might not be as vain as I am, but this is what I did. Um, my, my clothing would dictate my identity. And so, like, when I was in middle school, I was, like, wearing cargo, sh- cargo shorts and, like, button-up flowery shirts. And, uh, and then, like, one day I got introduced to Jinkos. If you don't know what Jinkos are, you need to go Google those because that was the business right there. That was what the cool kids wore, some Jinkos. And then I got into hu- high school, and I wore that for a little bit. And then, like, one day I just showed up, like, in 10th grade, wearing, like, decked out in Hollister. And if you don't know what Hollister is, it's like super preppy. Like I showed up with a hemp necklace, curly hair, flip-flops, and some like torn up jeans. And people were like, what in the world happened to you? And I was like, well, now I'm cool. And so, you know, there was an identity change a couple of times. And then like when I became a senior, I changed again to like the emo rocker scene. And so dyed my hair black and red, eyebrows and, and lips pierced. Cuffs, I was, you know, spike cuffs and spike belt and everything, skinny jeans, the skinniest of skinny jeans, skinnier than your sister's skinny jeans. It was awesome. And, and so I had like a whole new identity. And now, like, I'm, I don't, who knows what I am today, but now I am who I am today. And so there's like, there's been constant identity shifts. And a lot of that was reflected in, you know, what I, what I would choose to wear. Meeting Jesus is a lot like that. Meeting Jesus uh, is, is not just a, you know, plus to my life, but it's like you get a whole new wardrobe, a whole new life. And, and it, it kind of functions like this. It's like Jesus comes and he says, hey, let's take off some of, the, some of the old you and let's put on some of the new stuff. Like, let's take off selfishness and let's put on kindness. Let's, let's take off anger and let's put on love. Let's, let's take off the gossip and the slander and let's put on some words of encouragement. Does this make sense? And so Jesus is introducing a new wardrobe, if you will. And, and if you're like me, unfortunately, we, we like to keep some of those clothes hanging out in our closet for a comfy day. And we go back and run into some of the things that Jesus doesn't want us to wear anymore. Um, and, and, I, and I think God is like a good dad who is helping his kids learn to dress themselves on purpose every day, and there are better things that he's paid for that, that, that he wants us to walk in, and sometimes we, we run back to some of the old stuff, and, and I think, you know, it'd be like if God could walk into your room one day, and you're getting dressed, and he's like, hey, like, where are the new J's that I bought you? Get it? J's, like, for Jesus, is, it's kind of funny. Okay, so, like, where are the new J's that I bought you? And, you know, those were pretty expensive. It only, you know, cost me my life, uh, they're pretty expensive threads, and okay, this is maybe a little too cheesy, but it's a good analogy. And so here's what happens, guys. Religious experience comes in, and religious tradition comes in, and, and they mess this up because they miss the why behind the what. And so if you're not careful, you hear this conversation, and, and it's all like, take that off, take that off, all that's dirty, those are dirty clothes, dirty clothes, dirty clothes. And like, it's just take it off, take it off, take it off, and like, don't wear those things, don't cuss, don't gossip, don't do that, don't touch that. And it's all these don'ts, and eventually you just end up naked and ashamed and and not feeling great about yourself, right? Not really helpful. That's because religious tradition misses the heart of God. 
that Jesus didn't come to introduce us to a religion. He came to introduce us into a relationship. And so Jesus doesn't just take things away, but he gives us something else to put on. You don't just run from something, but he gives you something else to run toward. And so it's kind of like Jesus said, hey, listen, I, I bought these for you, and, and this is going to make your life better and your walk better. And so the big idea that I'm going to give you today, I'm just going to give it to you up front, is, is what does it look like to get dressed on purpose every day? Like we have this new life, we have access to a new wardrobe, but Jesus doesn't like dress us ourselves. Like we got to wake up every day and, and choose what we're putting on. Does this make sense? And so we're going to get into the text, it's going to break it down, it's going to be really helpful, um, but that's the conversation we're having. And the first idea that Paul is going to introduce to us is around issues of intimacy. Everybody say, issues of intimacy. Oh yeah, we're going there. You didn't even know it, but here we go. It's going to be really, really helpful, I promise. But in verse 5, um, Paul kicks it off, and, and he's continuing the same kingdom conversation. And he says, hey, I need you to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The whole kingdom conversation last week was, was about li living kingdom down, not culture up. Okay, so like, like earthly and base and like your old wardrobe, right? He's like, hey, there's some, there's some clothes that we need to get rid of. Like we need to go and do a garage sale, okay? Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. And he goes on and he kind of just gives a short list. And this is not meant to be exhaustive. These are just examples. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Some big words and some of us are probably offended. Welcome to the show. Me too. On account of these... The wrath of God is coming. Man, who is encouraged? Present, right here. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. All right, so Paul introduces this conversation of, of, of getting dressed on purpose, and, and, and he starts with issues of intimacy. And what he's saying is, hey, there's some old threads in your life that, that they need to go. And, and this whole conversation is being framed up. When you don't understand who you are, when you don't understand whose you are, and, and you don't understand who you will be, then it makes it really difficult, difficult to conduct yourself like today in real time. And so on these issues of intimacy, I'll just walk you through them. He, he says, hey, we need to put to death sexual immorality. And that's just like a, that's where we get the root word for pornography, by the way. And this is just like a junk drawer word for all kinds of sexual activity outside of the boundaries that God has set. He goes on and he says, you know, put away impurity. Um, and, and that's like, I want you to think, like, have you ever done anything like, like that felt dirty or gross? He's like, Any, anything that felt dirty or gross, that's where that word comes from, is impurity. It says, put away passion. And this is like out-of-control desire. This is passion in the wrong direction. There's nothing wrong with passion in and of itself. Um, but when that desire is out of control, he goes on and it says, put away covetousness. That is wanting what is not yours. In, in the realm of intimacy specifically, um, but, but we, we realize that a majority of like the marketing that happens in America is to get you to want something that's not yours, right? Um, and then he goes on and he kind of wraps it up, kind of like the icing on the cake with idolatry. Then idolatry is worshiping anyone or anything other than God. And, and so we all have idols, we all have things that become like the center of our life, but Paul's point here is that if we have idols that we struggle with, they, they become the, the center of our, our, our identity, and so his point here is that for some people, their sexuality and for some people, their sexual activity is their identity. And it doesn't take long, right, to think about what that looks like in our culture, in our context, that sexual activity and, and, and sexuality can, can just be holistically my identity. And it kind of moves into like a, re a religious devotion to my sexuality. And before you get mad at me, I, I'll, just, I'll just be vulnerable with you and let you know, guys, th this was me. Th this, this was me on my best day. That, that sexual activity was my religious pursuit. And I, I, I was worshiping myself 
and, and worshiping the pursuit of relationships and sexual activity and pleasure and, and uh, all outside of the parameters that God has set. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. And even when I became a follower of Jesus, this was a continual struggle in my heart and mind. There was some clothes that I kept in my closet that I was doing my best to, to hide. And, and, and I think the challenge with this conversation is that when it comes to, to intimacy, we, we see pleasurable things, but God sees things as an act of worship. And what, what Paul is doing is he says, hey, listen, if I can give you like a different perspective, again, kingdom down, not, not culture up. And so if you can just get outside of what you feel and think and what, what, what you uh, see right in front of you, recognize that, that what we see is simply like just an act of pleasure or something that feels good. God, God sees it as an act of worship. The same writer who's writing this letter, uh, uh, Paul writes in Romans 12, that any, anything that we offer our bodies to is an act of worship. And, and, and here's his point, that if you're going to live like the you that you will be, the, then the, the kingdom you will not have these kinds of issues of intimacy. And so you might kind of be offended or frustrated or confused because you're like, man, that wasn't exactly the encouragement I was walking into on, uh, on a Sunday morning. And I'm with you. This is not normally my, my first pick of, uh, you know, icebreakers around the water cooler, okay? But as we walk through the Bible, one of the things that we have to do is just deal with what's in front of us, which is where we are today. And so um, you might ask the question, you're like, okay, let's just say, like, I don't even know if I'm really interested, but let's just say I'm interested in what God has to say about sex. And I'm interested in, in what God has to say about intimacy. Like, what, what do I do about it? Well, Paul gives us uh, some really, really good encouragement. He says, you need to put it to death. <laughs> ah, that, there you go. That, that's, that's what I needed to hear. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever had, like, something that you struggle with, and you try to, like, wound it, you try to leash it, you try to cage it, you try to control it, and then, like, you might get it under control for a day or a week or a month, and all of a sudden it comes back to bite you? Right? His point is, hey, you, you, can't, you can't contain these things. You need to put them to death. You need to kill your sin. And, and here's his point. Whatever is killing your relationship with God, that's the thing that you need to put to death. Jesus died for your sin, and he died for my sin so we could put those things to death, not keep them caged up in the closet for when we want to bring them out to play. Does that make sense? We have some new threads that he's invited us into. And again, you've got to remember the Father heart of God. This is not don't do those things and take off those things because you're a bad person if you do it. This is I'm a good dad who loves you, and these things are bad for you. And, and I don't want you to get hurt. So I want you to remove them and walk in the new, new life that I, I've given you. Now, here's the challenge with this conversation is, is sometimes, actually probably a lot of times, sin feels good, right? Like, the reason we keep doing it is because it feels good. There, there's a whole religious tradition that, like, tries to shame, you know, teenagers into, like, sex is bad and don't do it. Like, right, that, that, that's, it's so dumb when we lie to people and, and tell them sex is bad. Like, like se sex is not bad. It's, it's good. It's a gift. And, and people wouldn't do it if it didn't feel good, right? Just think about that for a minute. And so, so God's trying to create boundaries to help us stay safe, not, not to remove it altogether. And, and so this whole conversation is, is like God framing it up and saying, hey, there, there's some parameters, like, like the, the, the little bumpers on, on the bowling alley. You know, like when you go, like, like there's some things that will keep you out of the gutter. And if you put those in place, they're going to be really, really good for you. Right, like intimacy is like a fire, right? It, 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 in, in the right spot, like a fire in the fireplace is great. Warms your home, creates family experiences. You get to roast some marshmallows. Fire in the fireplace is a good thing. Fire on the carpet is a whole other animal. Fire on the walls is, is different. Fire on the roof, we have a problem. And so in the same way, there's a realm of intimacy that says God, God says this is a really, really good thing, but outside of the right parameters, it has, it has the capacity to really do some damage. And so he goes on and, and um, says, 
some even more helpful encouragement in verse 6. He says, on account of these things, because you might, you might be asking, like, okay, what's the motivation? Let's just say, what if I don't believe that? What if I don't care? Or like, what if I like to get burned every now and then, right? Like, what if I just want to set the world on fire? Maybe not you, but, right, well, like, what if I just, I, I don't believe that? Well, Paul gives us some additional motivation. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Well, there's some encouragement. Glad we get to walk through this. This is really, really, so sometimes, just, just so you know, we're, we're doing this because it helps us walk through the Bible and not ignore and pick and choose what we like and what we don't like, but I promise that this is actually a really, really helpful conversation. Um, and so he goes on and says, the wrath of God is, is coming. This is important. The wrath of God is coming for all sin. And if we're not careful, you're going to like religious tradition this thing and make it a sexual checklist. And you're like, oh, as long as I'm not doing those things, I'm a good person. This is not meant to be exhaustive. In a minute, he's going to open up another conversation. And don't, so don't get stuck in like the sexuality conversation. All sin is being dealt with by the wrath of God. And Paul is warning us. And I want you to think about like kids playing on some train tracks, okay? And, and, and some kids are playing on the train tracks and you come by and you start warning, hey guys, listen, you need to like get off the train tracks. It's not safe. The train is coming. Well, I don't see the train. I don't hear the train. There's not a train for, you know, we're fine. And we're just having fun. Okay, that might be the reality right now, but eventually the train is coming. And that's Paul's warning is, you know what? You might not be experiencing the wrath of God now, but the train is coming. And it's time to get off the tracks. That's his warning for us. And so, again, this is all pointing to a, a bigger picture. This is not about what just your hands are doing, but this is about the love of God and the love of people. And that sin is, is our rebellion against God, and it's harmful to those around us. And so God's heart is to remove us from the realm of sin and help us to live like the person we will be uh, in, in the kingdom of God today. And so it, it's meant to be good for us and good for others. And, and so, again, the train tracks conversation is, is maybe a little bit helpful, but let me frame it up some more just in case you're getting lost. The number one attribute of God that we see Jesus talk about, that we see in the New Testament, that we see throughout the Bible, is God's holiness. What that means is he's simply set apart. He, he, he's up here and we're down here. He's, he's holy and we're not. And because of sin, that's our rebellion, God, it, it has created a problem that must be resolved by God's holiness. That's where God's justice comes in. And, and very simply, what that means is that justice is going to be uh, uh, enacted in proportion to the offense. So imagine that I, I steal $10,000 from you. And, and then we're trying to settle the issue, and, and I say, hey, listen, can, can, we just, can I just give you a buck and we're square? Right? You'd be like, absolutely not. No, you want full retribution for the offense. I want every dollar back. And so what happens is God sends Jesus to live the life that we should have lived, and Jesus pays the debt that we should have paid with our lives. And so when Jesus is on the cross, he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, that is a picture of the wrath of God being poured out on the Son of God in our place for our sins. And so if you belong to Jesus, guys, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus instead of you and instead of me. And that's the good news. And I don't know where you're tuning in on your spiritual journey. And this might be, you know, some of those really hard parts of, of being a follower of Jesus that we have to wrestle with. But God might not be a big deal to you. But I want you to know you are absolutely a big deal to God. And he proved it through Jesus. This is the good news, that the wrath of God was satisfied by the Son of God in 
in our place. And so it's like Jesus walks into the courtroom, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to pay back the debt that we owe from stealing $10,000, and Jesus says, I'll pay it full on my account. And he forgives us and pays our penalty that we should have paid. This is the entire message of Christianity. This is the good news. We don't behave for it. We don't, we don't have to you know, jump through X, Y, and Z hoops of religion. We simply trust in Jesus, and it's enough. And so naturally, this brings up a really good question. What about those who have not given their lives to Jesus? What about those who have not trusted in Jesus? What Paul is saying here is that the wrath of God remains on them. And this is where it gets heavy. And this is where, you know, if I, if I could undo or, 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 or not talk about it, I'd like to avoid it because it gets awkward. But, but I need you to understand that, that God is, is not negligent but he's patient because he loves us. And so the train might not be here yet, but it's coming, right? There's a day of judgment where God is going to make all things right, where the kingdom is going to come to earth and all justice is going to be dealt with. And the reason this is so important is, is that when we know what we're saved from, it reminds us of what we're grateful for. Like, man, I, I'm so grateful, guys. I didn't do anything to earn or deserve the love and forgiveness of Jesus, but man, I love Jesus, and I'm grateful that he saved me and set me free, and I'm so glad that I don't have to sleep with one eye open and a helmet on, right? Like, Jesus saved me and, and gave me new life, and I'm grateful for that. The wrath of God that was, that was directed at me was taken on by Jesus, and I'm grateful. But for those of us that, that you know, we're, we're debating or we're, we're unsure, or we're not sure if we believe in that, I want you to think about the wrath of God like, like, a, like a small gas leak in your house. You know, it might feel like, like there's nothing immediate. Like the train's not here. And so then it, it seems easy to play on the tracks. But I want you to think about a small gas leak over time after years and years and years. What's happening? You're storing up gas. It might not be an issue in the beginning, right? But you're storing up gas in that house. And, and eventually there, there's going to be a, a moment of combustion, right? Does that make sense? There's going to be a moment when, 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 it, when it all is accounted for. And that's what Paul is talking about, is for those of us that haven't allowed Jesus to save us and set us free, we're storing up the wrath of God. And guys, listen, I love you. And so, so I, I've got to say it, because I love you. If you don't know Jesus, you're not getting away with anything. You're just storing it up. But the beautiful thing is you're invited to trust in Jesus. He'll do the same thing for you that he did for me. And I think what happens is we take ourselves too seriously and we don't take God seriously enough. And so my first question for you, very simply in this, is have you trusted in Jesus? Not, not have you, do you go to church? Are you a good person? Do you read the Bible? Do you give some money? Do you not cuss? Do you not drink coffee? Right? Like, like, have you trusted in Jesus? That's it. And the second thing to evaluate is if I have trusted in Jesus, am I doing anything right now that I won't be doing in the kingdom of God? And Paul is inviting us to take those things off and put on some new clothes. And because God is a good dad who loves us, he's saying, this is good for you. And I want you to think to back, back to when you were a kid. Your parents would tell you something that you weren't allowed to do. And, and what, what did you think? You're like, oh, mom and dad, you are, you're just, you're fun suckers. Like, you don't want me to have any fun and you just rules for rules. And, and I think sometimes our limited perspective makes us look at God like that when on the, on the reality, right, our parents knew something we didn't, that playing in the street could cost us our lives. They weren't being fun suckers. They were protecting us. And God says, I love you. And these guardrails are not for prohibiting joy, but actually exponentially increasing it. And so the, the, the big first issue of, of identity around intimacy is this, that our, our identity doesn't have to flow out of our sexuality, 
and our sexual activity, our identity can flow out of a relationship with Jesus. That's the first invitation. The second thing Paul's going to talk about is that there's issues of influence, issues of influence when it comes to relationships with others, okay? He's going to go into verse 8, I'll show you. And again, I told you this was meant to be holistic, not exhaustive. And so the next list he gives in verse 8 is, but now, as a result of this new life that you have, you must put them all away. Again, the clothes analogy, okay? Hold on to it. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off, there's the closed language, the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Again, I want you to notice the word knowledge, being renewed how? In the mind, because belief determines behavior. And so really, really quickly, he's encouraging us, again, out of the realm of this new life. Like, what is the me that I will be look like today? And, and so instead of anger, right, what, am, what, am, what else am I putting on? So let me break them down for you real fast. Anger is very simply like being frustrated or irritated, right? It's when you start to kind of boil internally. It hasn't necessarily shown up. But have you ever been angry? Can I just be honest with you? I suck at this list. Like, I'm pretty sure I, I put on every single one of these this week. Yep, probably, okay? Um, and, and I went back to my closet and put on things that weren't honoring Jesus and weren't helpful to people. And I don't want to be that person. And so I'm wrestling with it. All right, Jesus, how do I take these things off and put on something better? He says, hey, you need, to, you need to put off anger, which is that internal response of being frustrated or irritated. And then it turns into wrath. I want you to notice he's a progressive. Wrath is, okay, now you can see it. I was angry and irritated, but now I'm expressing it. Now you know I'm upset. And then it turns into malice. Malice is like, you know what? I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm going to say or do something about it. My anger is now turning into actions and words. And then it's going to turn into slander. And slander says, you know what? I'm going to attack your character. I'm going to use absolute statements. You always do this. You never do this. And all of a sudden, it's a full-blown response of unloving character. And then it turns into obscene talk that not only am I going to malign and hurt you to your face, but I'm going to gossip and speak ill of you to others. And then it always culminates in lying. That's making something up that in my anger, I'm expanding the truth to make myself look better. Let me ask you a question. You think any of that's going to be in the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. Can you see Jesus blowing up like that? <laughs> in the kingdom, we're not going to do relationships like that. So when it comes to issues of intimacy, how do I live like the person I will be today? And the invitation is that I can stay loyal to my kingdom, uh, I'm sorry, my king and his kingdom by living out that reality now. Here's what that means. I'm going to treat you like God treats me, not like you treat me. It doesn't mean it's easy. But Jesus gives me the capacity to do it. And there's this old and new self-conversation. And so he talks about putting off the old life and putting on the new. And I want you to think about like the idea of your old life being an, an engine without a steering wheel. So, so you, your old life is driven by emotion and you have lots of power and lots of drive but no direction. And so what happens in our old life is we're able to take relationships and blow up like this and then we excuse our actions with our emotions. Because they drove us to that point, and we're able to use our emotions to kind of justify how we talked or how we behaved. But then Jesus enters and says, hey, I have a new, new life for you and a new will for you. And it's like he puts two hands on the steering wheel and says, listen, I gave you those emotions, and there needs to be lots of power and drive in your life, but there also needs to be some direction. But both hands on the steering wheel. And so in that moment, you know what? Emotions can rise, and I can get you know, caught up in the moment, but then I can, I can pause and ask the question. How would I respond in the kingdom? Let me ask you, do you think, you think Jesus ever got emotional? Just, just go read some of the, the God, just go read it. 
Jesus was absolutely emotional, 100% man, 100% God. You know what he did? He got emotional but had both hands on the steering wheel and never acted in a way that was inconsistent with the kingdom that he came to represent. And so we're invited to be driven by our passions but now with direction thanks to the new life that Jesus gives us. And so his invitation is, hey, there's some things you need to take off. There's some, there's some reactions you need to, to, to throw away and put off. And there's some things that you need to put on. And I want you to think about clothing even in the identity realm, okay? Like, like you know, if, if you're on a football team, right, what do you get? You get a jersey. If, if you're, you know, a part of the military, what do you, you get a uniform. If you're an astronaut, you get a space suit. And you get to, well, that's a whole other animal. But, right, like, there, there's clothing represents identity, and so I want you to think, like, okay, thanks to Jesus, I'm now on Team Jesus, okay? So, like, every day I get to wake up and put on a new jersey. And that jersey actually changed, right? I might have walked in before a football game. I might have just been me. But when I walk in and I suit up and I put on my jersey, you know what? Now I'm a part of a team. And, and Paul's saying, hey, listen, because of Jesus, you're a part of a new family. You're a part of a new team. You have a new jersey. And you have to choose to put it on every day. And you have to remember what that jersey represents, and as a result of that identity, it's going to allow you to function both hands on the steering wheel to live out the life that Jesus invites you to live. And here's the, here's the encouragement. I think we get stuck in, in the identity conversation and we get stuck in, man, what, what does it actually look like to change? But Paul's encouraging us, guys, you can be more like Jesus every day. All you have to do is wake up and get dressed on purpose. You can't roll out of bed and fumble into the day and, and hope that you look and sound like Jesus. You got to get dressed on purpose. You got to put that jersey on and remember what you're representing and ask Jesus to remind you of, of what it looks like to live the kingdom out today. And then Paul wraps it up and he ends with some really helpful encouragement, okay? In verse 11, check it out. Or actually, I'll give you the last one. It's issues of identity. It kind of culminates in issues of identity, okay? And, and here's what he gives us in verse 11. Verse 11, he says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. He brings it back to Jesus. He says, listen, you might have a lot of jerseys in your life, but there's only one that matters. There might be a lot of identity components that make up who you are, and we're not taking away from, from uh, unity by, by, by trying to you know, promote uniformity. That's not the goal. Like You're uniquely you on purpose, but at the same time, these are all secondary to the one solid reality that your identity can be found in Jesus. And some of you are not followers of Jesus, and you chase this game all the time, and I want you to know the most incredible, liberating thing that's ever happened in my life was when I gave my life to Jesus because I finally figured out who I was. And it wasn't about my activity. It wasn't about what has happened to me. It was about what had been done for me. And so maybe you're tuning in for the first time and you have never made a decision to trust Jesus with your life. And I want you to know, it's not jumping through hoops in religious tradition. It's simply trusting that Jesus was who he said he was and that he can do for you what he said he would do. And he doesn't just take away, but he makes us completely new. And for some of us, man, you're followers of Jesus and you're like me and you end up going back to the old stuff and, and you hurt yourself and you hurt others and you dishonor God and it's not helpful. I want, you to, I want you to think about it for a minute. Where does your identity come from on a daily basis? Where, 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 where does the, the flow come from of, of how you act and how you behave and the decisions that you make? 
And Paul's saying, if you let it be, Jesus can be the influencer of all that you do. And so I'm asking the question, am I like Jesus? And, and am I living like the kingdom? And see, the beautiful thing is when I make Jesus a standard and I don't make my neighbor a standard, then it leads to humility and it leads to empathy instead of being stuck comparing. And so here's my question for you as we wrap up our time. If you're a follower of Jesus, when, when, when people interact with you, when people see you and they hear you and they experience you, are they getting a taste of the kingdom of God through you? Are they getting a different flavor? And I'm asking the same question for myself. Guys, that, that the, the church, those of us that make up this community and, and the other churches that are expressions of, of the love of God all over the world, the church is to be the centerpiece of introducing the kingdom of God to the world around us. And the foundational piece of all of that is that our identity is in Jesus, not in what we do, not in how we feel, not, not in our perspectives, but in Jesus. And so I, I just want you to take a moment. I want, I want you to reflect for, on, on these questions just for a moment as we wrap it up. What do you need to take off? What do you need to take off? What is it that's been hurting you and hurting others? What is it that you need to put on? I found that it's not enough just to feel bad and, and run from something, but I've got to fill it with something else. I can't just stop thinking about something. I have to replace those thoughts. I can't just stop doing something. I have to replace that activity. What is it that you need to put on? And really wrestle with this, guys. How is it that you can get dressed on purpose every day this week? What would it look like? What would it take? What habits need to be in place? What time do you have to wake up? What time do you have to go to bed? Are, are you going to, you know, leave the phone to the side and pick up the Bible first? Don't touch your phone until you have a moment to, to spend some time with Jesus. Are you going to tell somebody, hey, this is where I'm struggling. You know what? There's some things that, I, that I've been wearing that, that are not helpful to me or others and that are not honoring to God. I need to take those off and I need to put them to death. Is there somebody in your life that you can share that with so they can hold you accountable and love you and pray for you? And when it comes to putting things on, that's not going to happen overnight. Jesus is working in and through us, but you need community and encouragement around you. Who are you going to share that with? And guys, listen, this isn't a pipe dream. What's your game plan? To put on the jersey every morning. To reshape my heart and my mind so that I can not just show up here, but my head and my heart are all connecting in the way that I love and serve those around me. We can come to Jesus, and, and, and he changes everything. And, and the beauty of this conversation is that he gives us clarity, and he gives us identity, and he gives us purpose, and he gives us passion, and he gives us direction. And so I just want you to evaluate, like, what are some things that you can add to your life, man? Like, what's your time with God daily look like? Like, if you don't have community, listen, we have city groups that are here for you to connect in community around people who love Jesus and are going to love you. And, and you can create some 3 a.m. friends, people that are there for you in the highs and the lows. We have, we have house campuses of people just meeting together frequently so that we stay connected relationally. We have that night of worship and prayer tonight. That's a great place to just show up and say, Jesus, I, I'm just here. I don't even know where to start, but I need something. And I'm willing to start right here. 
Maybe sitting right where you are, you're ready for the first time to say, Jesus, I, I don't even know where to start, but I need you. I want you to know that prayer is just as powerful someone, for someone who has never said it and for someone who said it a thousand times. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And there's a new life that we have the privilege of walking in. And there's a world around us that we have the privilege of representing Jesus to. I'm going to pray for you. God, thanks so much for our time. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross for us. Thank you for the new change of clothes. Help us to go through our closets and get rid of some stuff this week. Help us to get dressed on purpose every day so that we can love you and we can love others. And help us to live in such a way that those around us would want, we ha- what, would, would want what we have. This in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. See you soon.